And all of God's people said, amen. amen. I tell you, uh, wasn't feeling the best this week, kind of working through this Sunday, trying to decide if I was going to make it. And I looked at all of the different things that were going on on this Sunday uh, between, obviously, uh, our men's choir, between uh, the services and the gathering, as we've already had a baptism up there. Those who are, are watching from the gathering right now, you've already celebrated with Andrew Ellis and getting his baptism on the right side of his salvation. We've got baptism coming up in the 1030 gathering up there. We've got our men's retreat folks who've just come back. I just had a feeling this was a Sunday I couldn't miss. I was excited about what the Lord was doing, and I wanted to be here and to be able to share, and how good it is. See, I tell the staff so often that every Sunday to me is like the Super Bowl. It's like being able to come together and to celebrate the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus. We're able to come together and we're able to sing. We're able to worship. We're able to come together and experience this life that we can only find in Him. And I pray that today you sense that here in this place. I certainly have as we have come together. I want to share it with you this morning as we look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, the gospel of Luke and we're going to look at that fifth chapter. We're going to look down in verse 27 and following as we talk about how this Jesus does have the power to transform our lives and literally to turn us into what we might consider feasters. I went back and looked at that. I'm not sure that's a real word, but that's the word I'm going to use this morning. Turn us into feasters, from feasters into followers. And we see that as Luke gives it to us, as the story is given to us, how Jesus is out to bring us into his discipleship as we follow him. Now, this evening, during the Super Bowl time, many of you will have some big parties, right? Some of you planning on that? Some of you hope to have some? No, you're afraid you're going to ask me and I'm going to get you sick or something? Is that what the problem is? There are a lot of Super Bowl parties that will be going on this evening. Uh, there will be a lot of folks uh, who will be able to just kind of, I mean, just literally feast. I don't know some of the Super Bowl parties I've been at. You, you have all kinds of food. Obviously, you've got the standard like chips and dip and all that kind of stuff and all the other things that go with it. But also, maybe you got some of those little cheese poppers. Who's ha who, who would be having some of those poppers this evening? Any of you? Some cheese poppers, wrapped duck that might be grilled. I mean, come on, folks. Can you help talk to me about these parties and what it's going to look like? I mean, it just makes you stop and think that you can celebrate. You think about all those different parties. Here in the, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, we're going to see a party that's thrown. And it's thrown, I think, to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate transformation and how there at that party, people are going to get introduced to Jesus. It might even be a challenge for us today that at some of our parties this evening, we could introduce others to Jesus. So look at this. This is what Luke tells us about this incident. In chapter 5, verse 27, he says, After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So stop there a moment. Here Jesus had been in Capernaum and he'd been teaching, he'd been healing. In the previous verses, we're told that he was in the house probably of, of Peter and Andrew. And as he is teaching, he gets to heal the paralytic because these four friends 
they come and they bring this individual that they love to Jesus and Jesus heals him and Jesus forgives him of his sin. It's a great scene. So after Jesus has been teaching and after he's shown the power of healing, he walks out and as he walks out, he sees this guy, this tax collector. The Bible says that he saw a tax collector. Saw, that word saw actually means something like he gazed upon the tax collector. Now, in that, those days, tax collectors weren't necessarily gazed upon. They were glared at. You know, I believe the tax collector, he had seen a lot of people come give him some looks. You know, some of, you know what I'm talking Those kind of glares, those kind of looks, it's kind of like when you see an Alabama fan and you give them that glare. Or maybe I'll contextualize it a little more. You ever see those ULL fans, huh? You know what I'm talking about? They call themselves Louisiana. What's up with that? It's University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Don't know what's going on. But you give them that glare when you see them. Well, most of the time when the tax collectors saw people looking at them, there was a glare in the eye. Because tax collectors were so despised. You've heard this before. Tax collectors were the despised folks by the, by the Jewish people. They, they couldn't stand tax collectors. Now, there were usually two types of tax collectors. They didn't care for either one of them. But there were two types. There were those that would collect or gather the taxes for polls or income. And then there would be those that would sit at, sit at these little custom houses, these little toll booths. And they would collect maybe the taxes on, on import or export of travelers. And here we have the latter. This individual named Levi is, is sitting at his toll booth, probably employed by Herod Antipas and the ruler of that area. Oh, again, to be hated by the Jews in such a way. Why were they hated? Because basically everybody understood that they were dishonest. Even if you go back and you look at what John the Baptist said about these tax collectors. The tax collectors came to John the Baptist and said, what should we do? And John the Baptist basically said, start being honest. Uh, so he assumed that all of them were dishonest. He said, you need to start doing what's right. You need to start being honest with people. Because what would happen, obviously, in this Roman world, the Romans would say, hey, Herod, this is your area. You have to collect the taxes. You have to give it to us. So Herod would go out and he'd say, hey, I need a tax collector. Who's the highest bidder? And the people would bid to see who the tax collector would be. Well, if you had paid a certain price, that meant when you went out, you had to recoup your expense, but also you added a little bit so you had some income coming in. So that's the reason they would cheat the people. And not only were they dishonest cheating the people, think about where they're eventually giving this money. This money is eventually going back to the Romans. You're using our money, the money that we have, we have earned, the money that, that sustains us. You're using it now for the Gentiles, for the Romans, to support them. So you see why the Jews hated them. Because they were dishonest. It's because they were traitors in many different ways. Later on uh, in this passage, in verse 30, uh, the charge will be, you will eat with tax collectors and sinners. Now, 
I, I was an English major in college, a Bible major, English major. That just still bum fuzzles many of you all, especially when you hear me speak, probably. I tell people often that it's Mississippi English that I majored in, so it's a little bit different. But I look at that conjunction, and I remember my professors, I remember even my high school teachers talking about when you have a conjunction like and, it connects things that are equal. Sometimes you can even put the equal sign there. It just, I mean, there is an equality. So listen, this Jesus is charged with eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. You take the and out and just put an equal sign means they believe that tax collectors, sinners, they're all the same. They're in the same group. And if you look at the original language, there's one definite article, which means it connects the two. So again, just showing you, just showing you that this Levi is despised by the Jewish people. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does what he always does. He defies our expectations. Jesus comes and he sees this individual. He walks up to him and he says, follow me. Come on, follow me. Now, I believe Levi has heard of Jesus. I believe he's seen Jesus. I believe he's heard all about Jesus at this time. Remember, Jesus' notoriety is building, especially in the area of Capernaum. And I believe he had heard all about Jesus and he had, had seen what Jesus had stood for. And now Jesus comes to him. And Jesus extends an invitation, a personal invitation to follow. In the New Testament time, if you heard this language of follow me, it would be used by a rabbi to say, come and take Upon my learning and my teaching, just come and go with me and live, live with me, be a part of my life. I want you to come, and I want to be able to invest in you. I want to mentor you. Now, this had to shock Levi. Had to. Can you imagine? I mean, he'd been despised by everybody else, and now this recognized rabbi, he was recognized by the crowd, this guy from Nazareth that has demonstrated all authority in teaching and in healing, he just walked up to you and he said, I want you to be on my team. Matthew's one of those guys, I believe, that usually thought he was the last one to get picked, especially on a Jewish team like this, right? He's the last one. Now, it's kind of, it kind of hurts your feelings when you're the last one to get picked on a team, right? Any of you remember these days in your life? Huh? Some of you? Hey, even when you're the second to the last, it can hurt your feelings. When they're going around and they're looking at your athletic ability, thank God I always had a lot of athletic ability, just like I do right now. So I didn't face this too badly. He never got picked before. Nobody chose him. But now Jesus walks up to him and Jesus said, I want you to come and be on my team. I want you to follow me. I want you to be with me. Oh, I love this. I love it. 
Because you know what? Jesus knows exactly who we are, and Jesus can still walk right up to us and say, hey, come on, I want you to be on my team. That, that's actually the message of this passage. Is he knows who you are, and he knows your baggage, and he knows everything about you. And you may be despised by everybody else, but when Jesus walks up to your life, and he invites you to come with him... You have an opportunity to be a part of something so eternal, something that you could never imagine. He says, follow me. Note this. Jesus did not say, come follow the rules. Notice this. Jesus did not come and say, come follow the dogma. He didn't say, hey, you need to come and follow the religion I'm going to offer you. Jesus said, you come and you follow me. Because when you and I launch out in discipleship, yes, we study, we want to learn, we want to know. But when we launch out, it's not about religion. It's not about dogma. It's not about ritual or rules. It is about Jesus himself and the relationship we have with him. You come follow me. Every day of our lives should be about following Jesus. Of nurturing the relationship that we have with him. To become more like him. And look at what the passage says. The passage says, so he left all, rose up, and followed him. He did it. He said, all right, I'm going to do this. The first two verbs given to you there... Those verbs are given to you in a tense that means that it was a complete obedience. Like he did it immediately. Like he left. Like it was a decision that he made to leave and to rise up. And it was immediate, just like that. I love the way the passage is given to us. It's like he hears Jesus. Jesus said, come follow me. And he says, got it, Jesus. I'm right there with you. And he just gets up and he leaves his custom house, his booth, his toll booth, he just gets up and he leaves. But the word followed is in a different tense. It, it's a tense that means something like this. He does get up, he leaves, but it's, he, it's like he's beginning a journey. It's a continual journey now. See, I, I'll, see some of you look at me and say, you're just a nerd. <laughs> oh, a nerd, I told you, I didn't get picked last all the time, but... Some of you look at me and say, you're just a nerd because you get all into these tenses. No, look at the verb. I love it because it says immediately he left, but he started out on a journey and it was a continued journey in his life. How that explains what God does in our hearts when he says, hey, come follow me. You remember that day when you accepted Jesus and you said, I'm going to follow him. And you immediately got up. Maybe you were sitting in a service like this and you heard the preacher preaching. And God convicted you. The Holy Spirit worked in your life. And he said, hey, do you hear what the message is? Do you hear the message that Jesus is inviting you to come and to join him in this work, to join him in the kingdom? And you got up literally. You made a break. And you came. And when you walked down that aisle, you didn't realize, but you were starting a journey that would affect the rest of your life. And there's Levi. He gets up, and he begins a journey. Why did he do it? Because this guy who had been feasting on what the world offered realized that it wasn't good enough. See, Matthew, or 
Levi, I'll get to that, he is Matthew, but Levi, he had enjoyed the world's fruits. He had the money. Oh, yeah. A little bit later on, look at this party he throws, the house he has. He has a, he has a lot of stuff. He dresses well. It looks nice. He, he's got all of the material possessions you could think of. And he still needed something more. Still needed something more. And how many? How many today are trying to be satisfied on the pleasures of this world. They're trying to find satisfaction in material goods of building their own kingdoms. And yet there's something still lacking in their lives. Well, listen to me, I say to you, there's good news. Because if you're lacking something in your life, purpose, satisfaction, Jesus just walked up to you today and he said, come here and follow me. I want you to follow me. I want you to be about my life, my kingdom. Well, continue on in verse 29. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. So what happens? Levi follows and Levi says, we need to have a party. Again, I think it's good to have parties every now and then. I think it's great to have celebrations, especially when something like this happens. Jesus, he, uh, Levi just committed his life to Jesus, so he's throwing a party because, one, I think he's going to publicly announce it to the rest of the tax collectors what he's done and celebrate. But also, I think he's going to introduce Jesus to the tax collectors, the rest of them, because he knows the rest of them need Jesus as well. Dr. Travis up at Blue Mountain College used to say, you need to look for a sinner. And when you need to find a sinner, find a sinner you need to follow that sinner. And you need to let him lead you back to a bunch of sinners. Because he'll lead you back to a bunch of sinners. And when you get back to a bunch of sinners, you tell them about the one named Jesus. Because there's something about coming together and, and giving Jesus, giving Jesus to those who, are, who need help and hope, who need purpose, who need plan in their life. And here is Levi. He's known Jesus. Now he's going to throw a big party, and he's going to bring everybody together. Again, as someone has said, no, no true Christian goes to heaven alone, right? If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to take somebody with you because you just got to tell somebody about Jesus. You just got to. So Levi says, I got to tell them what's happened. I got to show them. And whereas the four friends took this paralytic to Jesus in the previous few verses, now what Levi does is he takes Jesus to his friends. I'll just say this. It doesn't matter if we take them to Jesus or we take Jesus to them as long as we get them and Jesus together. Right? So, Levi takes Jesus to his friends. And they're eating, they're reclining. 
they're, they're fellowshipping together. And look in verse 30. This is the fly in the ointment here, okay? Their scribes and Pharisees complained against his, against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees and the scribes, those that uh, should have understood the law better than anybody else, those that should have understood the revelation of God better than anybody else, they look at this and they say, what, what are you all doing? You see, the Pharisees in particular had committed themselves to purity. The Pharisees, that group, they developed between the Old Testament and New Testament. Remember, the Old Testament, you never read anything about a Pharisee, do you? No. You pick those up in the New Testament. You ever thought to yourself, where did those come from? Where are those guys? All of a sudden, they just pop up in Matthew. Never heard about them in the Old Testament. It's because during that intertestamental period, this group formed, the Hasidim, those who would keep themselves pure, and they, they rejected any type of foreign interference, especially the Romans themselves, and they wanted to keep themselves to the law. They actually, look, actually, they had a good intentions. They just had gotten far away from the purpose and the will of God. They had good intentions. They wanted to separate themselves, keep themselves pure or clean, but what they have done is they have forgotten about the ones who need God most. So, for them, the tax collector, tax collector was no more, or let me say a tax collector was just as bad as a leper in so many ways. As you see in verses 12 through 16 of this chapter, remember Jesus had cleansed the leper. The leper was an outcast. Well, so were the tax collectors. You couldn't come in contact with a leper. You couldn't come in contact with a tax collector without becoming ceremonially unclean, ritually unclean. And the Pharisees, they said, why would you become ritualistically unclean? It does not make sense. And they complain. Now, this is what they do is they stand outside. They don't go in. But notice this. They followed Jesus around and the disciples. They followed them around. They stand outside and complain. You ever met those kind of people before? They won't, they won't come to the party. But they stand outside and complain about those that are at the party. And they complain about the work of the Lord. That's what they do. They're complaining. Why would you do this? Why would you fellowship in such a way? Why would you risk your your separate type of identity? Why would you risk your, your ritual cleansing? Why would, you, why would you somehow risk all of that? And then it was Jesus that spoke these words. He answered and said to them, verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, I have come for the sick. The good physician, the good doctor, deals with sick people. I've come for those 
that are sick. Listen, a good doctor does have sick people around them. That means he's concerned about them and he's trying to, he's trying to help them out, right? I'm, I'm pretty proud we have doctors and nurses and all kinds of folks in the medical field. I am grateful for those people. When something is going on in my body, or I, I like to go see them. No, I don't. I, I just got to be honest. Whatever I say out of the pulpit, you got to understand I'm trying to tell you the truth, all right? So I got to back up. I don't like to go see them, but I know I need to go see them, okay? Because I, I, I need them. I need their expertise. I need what they can do. I need, I need them to tell me what they think's going on, to diagnose me, to, to help me get on a path toward healing, Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, if you're sick, you know you're going to need a doctor. Now, I do like this again because remember who wrote this gospel? Luke. Luke was what? Physician. So Luke is reminding us of the words of Jesus, but also I think he, he's reminding himself of this analogy because Luke is a doctor. He'd seen a lot of sick people in his life. He had treated many people, and now he says, but Jesus, Jesus came, and Jesus was the great physician because Jesus was the one who came for the sick. I just want to remind you, Jesus is still the one who came for the sick, who came for those of us that have suffered from a disease, as I've mentioned the last few weeks, a disease called sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everybody in this place, every individual has suffered and still continues to see the effects of sin. Right? So that means we need somebody to do something. And the preacher can't do anything. The deacons can't do anything. The Sunday school teachers can't do anything. The only person that can do anything about that sickness is Jesus. He's the great physician. And I love what Wearsby said about this. Wearsby said Jesus is the one who diagnoses. He is the one who prescribes. He is the one who heals. And then he is the one who pays the bills. Jesus is the one that takes care of it all. When we recognize, when we recognize our sickness. Now listen. I don't want you to think that Jesus was saying that the Pharisees were good and that they were well. Because when you hear this, say, well, he comes for the sick, not for those who... He was not saying that the Pharisees uh, were well. As a matter of fact, he will talk about their righteousness and he will describe their righteousness as self-righteousness. Right? They're sick. They just don't realize it. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to those folks that realize they're sick and they want help in their lives. The Pharisees, they think they're justified in everything that they do. They're mumbling. They're doing all these kind of things outside. But Jesus said, I've come for those who recognize that they need me. I've come for those who recognize that they have, they have disease in their hearts and lives. And they want healing. And here are these 
people that are at the party that I believe at some point they go from feasting to following. Believe that they begin to follow Jesus. Now, I almost went back and changed this a little bit. I love to drive our media people crazy uh, by changing things in the last minute or so. And I started to go back and say, you know what? It's really not just feasting to following. Uh, it is, but it's not. But it's also when you go from feasting, you go to following. And as you follow, you actually start to feast in a better way. What do you mean by that? It means like, see, Levi and these tax collectors, they had been feasting on what the world had offered for so long. But when they start following Jesus, and when we start following Jesus, we get to feast on him. And you know what? We realize he's the bread of life. We realize all of a sudden, all that other stuff that we were unsatisfied with, we have now found satisfaction with Jesus because he is the one that we can, we can taste and see how good he is. Because, yeah, we go from feasting on that to following, and when we truly follow, that's when we truly feast. We feast on him. This is Levi, and I've already slipped up and told you. Of course, many of you are Bible scholars. You know this. But Levi is the same guy we call Matthew. Correct? There's a gospel named after him because he is the one that penned it. He is the one that told us the same story, and he used his name, Matthew. A lot of times in the New Testament, you add double names or different names, two names for people, just like we do today. He wrote a gospel. Always amazed by this. God takes the tax collector. He brings him and allows him to follow him. And then he empowers him to do just tremendous things for the kingdom. He transforms this guy into a disciple who ends up writing one of our four gospels we have in the scripture. He utilizes him to share the good news, not just with his friends, but with many, many others that he'll come in contact with. Because that's the power of Jesus. Jesus can take whoever you are. And often he will choose among the least. He will choose among those Luke, I believe, identifies them as outcasts. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, he emphasizes how Jesus will go out after those that have been cast out by society. Jesus will take those individuals. He will transform them. He will work within them. And he will use them for mighty and wonderful things for the kingdom. Because that's the God we serve. He knows our baggage. He knows all the stuff. He still loves us and extends an invitation for us to come follow him. He knows who we are, and he knows as he works through our lives to transform us, to do things that people thought we never could be able to do for the kingdom, 
When he does that, he knows he's going to get the ultimate glory for it because it wasn't about us to start with. It was about his power. My friends, he wants you too. He wants you. You look at me and say, Reggie, there's no way if you just need... No, 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 no. I don't care what you've done or who you are or your background or anything else. He wants you. He says, follow me. Come be my disciple. He calls you not again to ritual or dogma or anything. He calls you, he calls you to himself. So that you can follow him and know him in intimate relationship. Can you imagine what it's going to be one day? Can you imagine what it's going to be one day when God throws the ultimate party for us? I kind of I hope one day he would let me sit right next to one of these guys that was at that party that night. We don't even know their names, by the way. We don't know who they are, but I believe some of them came to faith in Christ and followed. But can you imagine pulling up to them at that party one day? As Jesus himself has celebrated as the Lord of lords and King of kings that he is. And being able to be right there with them to enjoy his presence. Friends, you can be there with us if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. If you repent of your sins, notice what he says, repent. That means that you have turned away from what the world is trying to satisfy you with and turn to him, the only one that can satisfy you. If you repent of your sins. Today in this place, I encourage you. Hear Jesus' voice once again. He just walked up to you. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Some, it may be for the very first time, you can know eternal life and forgiveness and salvation. For some of you, it's a rededication, a recommitment. Would you just hear him again? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and God, we thank you. Thank you for what our hearts have experienced this weekend. I thank you for how you are moving in our midst. God, we are seeing people respond to your grace. Thank you for that. Father, we are seeing you stir Lord, the fire within our hearts and lives. I sense the wind of renewal and revival blowing into this place. God, we know it is because you have come in grace extending that constant invitation to us to follow you. And God, I come to you this morning and I pray for those who are lost in this place. And there are some who are lost. God, I pray that they would hear and they would turn from all the things. Some of them are trying to, Lord, they're trying to be happy with their houses and their cars and their material things. And God, they are still, they're still so unsatisfied, unfulfilled. 
God bring them to a relationship with you? God, for some who have followed you, but God, what's happened in their lives is that they've allowed this stuff to just uh, choke off their spiritual vitality. God, remind them of what pleased them in the beginning and what is still the only thing that can please them, and that's your son, the Lord Jesus. And God, just use this moment of commitment for us to be the people you've called us to be, to respond and rededication, recommitment, and just to follow you fully and thoroughly in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?